invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Christian submission to unchristian authorities. You know, when you put a bookmark in your Bible, you could just use that. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. Peter continues, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Give us ears to hear it. Help us to apply it in our lives. Amen. You may be seated. The so last time Peter brought us a new line of thought in his epistle, and remember he had spent some time reminding us of our Christian privileges that are ours because we are in Christ, and it took a little bit of time to get through them. But it was encouraging to go through them, wasn't it? To Look at the benefits and the blessings and advantages and the special rights that all those who come to Christ have. That all those who come to Christ and believe in Christ and reside in Christ have. And the sobering truth is that those who merely have a curiosity about Jesus, who keep a distance from Jesus and you know, maybe they even say a few honorary shout-outs to him. You know, he was, Jesus was a great man. He was a good teacher. He was an exemplary philosopher. All these things still fall far, far too short of what Scripture says men are to do with Jesus. What, what are men to do with Jesus? Acts 17.30 says that all men are to repent and be leave. And in the end, those who insist on staying on the sidelines, they are lumped in with those who reject the Lord. All these, all these forfeit the privileges given to those in Christ and to those who are kept by Christ, who are the Lord's people, his own special possession those who have been saved by him and now live to serve him and to be like him, to proclaim his excellency so that others might come and believe. As we began this new line of thought that Peter is bringing us into, we said that all Christians are at war. That is a sobering reality, that all Christians are at war. And our walk with the Lord isn't easy. We have adversaries that make our walk very difficult, don't we? We have the devil, we have the world, we even have our own unredeemed bodies that make our Christian life hard. And Peter thought, you know, he's a pastor, he 
He loves these folks. He knows them. And he thought it good to give them their marching orders. It's always good to be reminded of our position in Christ, the who and what we are in him. And likewise, it is so good to be reminded about what our Christian practice ought to be like in him. Especially as we live in a fallen world and we face, we, we, live, we inhabit fallen bodies and we fight and resist a fallen devil. Isn't it good to be reminded of who we are and what we're to be doing in the Lord? Now, we looked last week as Peter gave the initial marching orders as it pertained to warring, actually, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, as it pertained to warring against the flesh and the world. And in chapter 5, it's going to take him a little bit of time, but he will bring up the devil and how we respond to him. But he's now giving us the next aspect of our Christian marching orders, considering that we are living in an unchristian world and is essentially submission to earthly authorities or sub- Christians' submission to unchristian authorities. And there are six, six features of this submission that we can look at this morning. Uh, first is in, the first three are in verse 13, the command for submission, the motive for submission, and the extent of our submission. And then moving on in verse 15, the reason or result of our submission, the attitude of our submission. And then in verse 17, we kind of get a cliff note uh, summary or or wrap up the application of our submission. Let's let's look at the the first feature, the the command of our submission. Look Look at verse 13. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Sub. He says, submit yourself. Now, we have some people who, who have military experience. We, most of you know uh, Pastor Carl has some military experience, and he would be all too familiar with submission. This word submission is a military expression which literally means to arrange in formation under an authority. And that's what happens when you join the military. You are placed under the authority of another. You were placed under the authority of higher-ranking officers and commanders and generals, and guess what? You don't get to do what you say anymore. You don't even do what your mom, say, mom and dad say anymore. You do what the authority says. You do as they say. And the, 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 the trick is, to, is finding out that you don't, do it, you don't do what they say because you like them. You don't do what they say because you, re, because you, you, you like something about their personality. Uh, you do it because of their authority and their position that are granted to them. When, you, when they speak, you being a person of lower rank, them being a person of higher rank, guess what? You do what they say. That's how authority and submission works. You are a vessel for carrying out their will, so to speak. And the priority of those who are positioned in a place of submission is to carry out the will of their superior. They, you don't just freely go about and do whatever it is that you want to do whenever you want to do it or however you want to do it. You only get to do what you want to do unless you're given permission. You live to serve. You live to obey. And this is a simple truth that for the most part, the Christian norm has been for Christians to be in a place of submission over some form of unchristian authority. That is the norm, whether it's 
uh, a believing wife submitting to an uh, unbelieving husband, which he will get to in chapter 3, whether it is a believing slave or servant submitting to an unbelieving uh, foreman or boss or master, or a, a believing citizen submitting to an unbelieving governor or king. That has been the norm for a Christian to be in a place of submission under an unchristian authority. And simple truth number two, the norm is for at some point for Christians to be slandered or treated poorly or treated with contempt or harassed or persecuted by said authorities. That is, those are two simple Christian truths that we have to be reminded of ourselves. I think that we've forgotten of those truths because of the relative peace and freedom that this country grants us, which, to which we should be grateful for. Now, if you remember in verse 12, Peter instructed us that we are to have an excellent behavior. We are to have an honorable conduct, even when we're slandered by those outside the faith. Especially when we're slandered by those outside the faith. Especially when we are called evildoers. Peter wants the accusations of those outside the faith to have absolutely no substance. So he tells those within the faith to keep an excellent behavior. Keep an honorary and noble conduct in the midst of an unbelieving world. And that is the overall theme. That is the thought uh, in this whole section. I think it's good for us to be reminded that God desires us to submit to those placed in authority over us. And Peter is saying, in effect, yes, even though your position is in Christ, your life is hidden with him in heaven, and your inheritance will one day be gloriously revealed in power and, 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 and awesome glory. That's true, but the truth is also that you are a citizen here and you answer to earthly authorities here, and you have earthly rulers here that exercise authority over you. And guess what? God's will for you is that you submit to these authorities and that we have lives marked with humility, with gentleness and and harmony. As much as it depends upon us, we ought to be in peace with all people. Someone says, wait, wait, where, where does it say that that's God's will? Well, Submit yourselves. But it doesn't say it's God's... Uh, we'll look down in uh, verse 15. He, he does get there. Hold your horses. So where, where, did, where did Peter get this from? Where, what well is he drawing on to get this? Well, about, he, he's writing this about 64, 63 AD, about 10 years prior, the Apostle Paul wrote the Epistle to the Romans, which we're reading in our public scripture reading. And Chapter 13, 1 to 4, he says this. And he says it very clearly. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why does he say that? For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. 
For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So according to the apostolic opinion, is government a good thing or is it a bad thing? It's a good thing. And I, I, I think we naturally resist that, which I think even Paul anticipated because he had to say twice in that section, it is a minister of God. Government, the, 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 the establishment of government, the function of government is a good thing. And the good news for us is that the Christian can take comfort in any established government, knowing that even when it is, especially when it is ran and overseen by fallen men, its very presence is a ministry of God. It is an authority given to us, given to the world by God for the sake of peace and order. Now, huge caveat, important caveat. This doesn't mean that every government gets it right. It doesn't mean, this does not excuse the evil or the abuse that some agencies or that some men do when they have power. It does not excuse the sin that government can do. But its presence, the very presence of of government and the order that it maintains is a grace of God for all mankind. Now notice that Peter says to submit yourselves. You aren't to be going around submitting one another to the human institutions. You are to submit yourselves. Many in the old world were were subjugated when their country was conquered by another nation and its populations were, were then pressed into servitude. And sometimes during war, you know, the draft comes out, we are pressed into service. But, you know, for, for the most part, you know, um, if, if you don't like where you live, if you don't like your governor, if you don't like your mayor, you know, you have the freedom to move to another state. If you don't like your job, you have the relative freedom to go get another boss. But Peter says here, this is submission that must come from within. It must come from you. It can't be uh, an attitude that is forced upon you by another. You must do the forcing of self. So what's the command? Submit. Submit to human authorities. The the second feature or second aspect is the motive for submission. This is still in verse 13. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake but for the Lord's sake. And I, I think this helps give us some much-needed perspective, right? We don't submit to the governing authorities or to the rulers or to the presidents because they've earned our respect or because they're Republican or because they've promised us something that we want to see happen, right? We submit to them not for their sake, but for whose sake? For whose sake? For the Lord's sake, Christian, it is for Jesus Christ that you submit to your earthly rulers. And though your citizenship is in heaven, and one day we will rule and govern the world alongside our, our Lord, and we will even judge angels. We looked at that a couple months back. For the, for the time being, for the honor of the Lord, for his sake, submit to these earthly men. I think this helps us because deep down inside, 
maybe for some less deep and, than others, but deep down inside, we know that they're not worthy of our respect. We know that they're not worthy of, of such honor. We know that, for the most part, many of them cannot be trusted more than they can be thrown, right? But submitting to and honoring those that God has positioned, that he has ordained as governmental head, whatever their level of worthiness, despite their, their, their occasional dishonors, when we submit to them, we demonstrate our trust in the sovereignty of our God. And one of the themes that I have loved observing as, we go through, as we've gone through our Old Testament survey in the first hour, which we just concluded, is that God's sovereignty has been seen in all the nations, both in Israel and around. Psalm 22:28 says, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. Psalm 47, 8, God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. Psalm 66, 7, he rules by his might forever. He keeps watch on the nations. Proverbs 21, 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And then Acts 17, 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the faces of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. God has control over all the nations and over their governments and over their heads all the time. And whether it's Pharaoh, whether it's Saul and David or Sennacherib of Assyria, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Cyrus, Ahasuerus, Darius, or uh, uh, of, of the Medo-Persian Empire, whether it's the Herods, whether it's the Caesars, whether it's the United States presidents or King, Jong, King Jong-il or, or whoever, God is always... Walk away with this, if nothing else. Walk away with this. God is always, always, always in control. No matter what it looks like, he is always in control. And not a single ruler, not a single authority can take one step further, one inch further in their depravity and in their sinfulness than God God sovereignly allows for the accomplishment of his divine purposes. You remember, remember Job? How far could Satan go? Only as far as God allowed him to. Not, not, a, not an inch, not a micrometer past what God allowed him to. Christian, if, if Christ's apostles can tell the church to submit to the emperors of Rome, to a man such as Nero, we can be expected to submit to a man like Obama or Trump. I know that's a shocker for some. If, we can, if they could submit to the likes of Nero, we can honor and, and, and show our respect to anybody. Do we know, do we know about Nero? He, he came into power about 54 AD at the age of 17. He was a maniacal homosexual. He had all kinds of problems, murderous to say the least. He, he has been dubbed by many the madman of Rome. He was clinically insane. Uh, He is easily the most notorious Roman, not just the Roman emperor. He is the most notorious Roman of all time. Uh, On July 18th, 64 AD, he 
burned down most of the city of Rome. He had an absolute lust complex for, for building and expanding the city. And, you know, you can't, you can't build on something that's already there, so you, so you have to tear it down. And he burned the city, and it said that he sung while Rome burned. He was a little nuts. And when people started to point the finger at him, guess what he did? He took a group of people that were already kind of suspicious in the eyes of the populace, and he said, they did it. Guess who he pointed to? I won't say it from here, but if you have the opportunity, look up and see what he did to the early church, to early believers. It was ghastly. Peter and Paul would both lose their lives under his reign. And they say, honor the king. Respect the emperor. Again, I say, if the early church could be expected to honor a man like Nero, it should be easy for us to honor men of the caliber of recent presidents that we've had. But, 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 listen, we, there's really only two conclusions. We, we either believe the scripture and we honor the king, or we conclude the Holy Spirit made a mistake when he inspired this text. Which is it going to be? So, Christians submit to the rulers for the Lord's sake because it honors his command. He tells us to do it, but also because in doing so, who do we imitate? We imitate the Lord. We submit to Christian authorities because in doing so, we are showing that we are like Christ. Now, sneak peek, if you look ahead to verse 23, Peter's going to give us the supreme example of Christ-like behavior while suffering unjustly at the hands of wicked people. That is Christ himself. Christ himself is the best example of Christ-like behavior. He says, while being, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself who judges righteously. I think of Jesus before Pilate. And yes, he said, uh, he said rather bluntly, you would have no authority unless it were granted to you above, but he doesn't. He does not revile Pilate. He does not insult Pilate. Rather, he, he affirms the authority that had been given to Pilate from God. And he lived under the unjust and unrighteous rule of both Jewish authorities and Roman authorities. And you know how many times he tried to usurp their authority? You know how many times Jesus led a protest walk? And yet, despite never engaging in acts of civil disobedience, the, the scriptures, uh, Luke 23.2, tell us that these are the very things, these, these are the very kind of slanderous things that were accused of Christ. That he was going to destroy the temple, that he was going to do away with the traditions of Moses, that, he, that he, he was proclaiming himself king, which actually he was very keen not to do, uh, for, for the sake of, uh, of posing himself as a threat to Caesar. That was, that's what was said about him. They said he was an instigator. They said he was an usurper, which is exactly what he was not. Consider that Christ, being the Son of God, being the King of kings, being the Lord of lords, paid taxes to Caesar. Christian, do you want to be like Christ? Pay your taxes. Luke 20, uh, 22 to 26 states this, and I, I love this. The, 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 
the scribes and the Pharisees, they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap, which they, they did. They tried to do often. And he says, render to, render to God the things that are God, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And get this, they marveled at his answer and they became silent. Now, lock that away in your mind because that, that them becoming silent is going to come up again in a, couple, in, a, in a few minutes. But consider also, so as not to unnecessarily offend the Jews, he also paid the temple tax. In Matthew 17, 24-17, he's visiting his hometown of Capernaum. And it says that those who collected the, the, the two drachma temple tax come and say, and to his disciples, and they say, does your master pay the, the tax? And Peter says, yes. So he goes into the table, and it says, Jesus um, uh, uh, says that um, the text indicates he knows he's coming in, which explains, uh, argues his divinity. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up real quick. I didn't write the verse down. And when he, when he, Peter, came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. So he already knows what's coming. Maybe he's divine. And he says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or, or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are, are exempt, meaning if he's the son of God, if he's the son of David, if he is the king of the land, he's exempt from paying, ta- he's exempt from paying taxes. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea, throw in a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when it opens its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Now, I don't know if that's a prescription for us to pay our taxes by going fishing, there is a lake right there. You're welcome to do that. I don't think you'll be able it sounds a little fishy to me, but whatever. But he did not offend Caesar by not paying his taxes. He did not offend the, the, the those who, who supervised and ran the temple by paying the, the temple tax. He is he was exempt from taxes and yet he paid anyway to respect the ordained form of authority in the land. And Christ is glorified when his people are associated not with the substance of the slander that is often thrown at them, but rather when his likeness is produced in their lives, especially in the midst of being slandered and treated unjustly. Christ is glorified when we, like him, respond in a godly manner when we are treated in an ungodly manner. So we submit to men, not for the sake of those men, but for whose sake? The Lord's sake. So we've seen the command and the motive to submit to human authorities. And third, we see the extent. How, how far should our authority go? Maybe just to the good ones, just to the ones that are in the same political party as us. It says in... Uh, the last part of 13 going into 14. Submit yourselves to the Lord for, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And here Peter's saying the same thing that Paul says in, in that Romans 13 passage I read. Government is a good 
thing. It is a grace for man because government is the means by which God maintains stability and peace in society. Now, that peace and stability will be much, much better when Christ himself is, is running, running Washington. Or, well, I don't think it will be in Washington. It will be, it'll be Jerusalem, but you, you get the point. But it's, government is a good thing. And P- Peter re- uh, repeats what Paul says. The purpose of government is to reward good, the good and punish evil. Restrain if possible, but when it happens, certainly punish evil. That is what government is supposed to do. It is supposed to encourage good works, and it is supposed to restrain, but certainly punish the evildoer. And we're to submit, but, but how far are we su- to submit? Peter says, not, not some, not your favorite, not just the Republican candidates, but every human institution. And, and this is an interesting word. Institution, it doesn't just mean government. It, it is a unique word that always, every single time it's used in the scriptures, it is describing the creative acts of God. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That, so the, 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 this word uh, in, in, your, in your Bible, it may say institution, uh, it may say authority, but it, the word is, is creation. It is always pointing to something that God himself has made. And, and by using, by throwing on that human, the, uh, human as an adjective, you know, we might think that these are creations or institutes that are formed, that are created, and, and that their source is from man, right? That, that, that may be how we might look at it. But the word, again, points to some, always points to something that God is making, that God has established, that God has ordained. And so he's reminding us, the, the way he lumps these two words together, that though, though, though we see the men, we see the man, we see the agencies, we see the ranks, we see the formations, that those formations and ranks of authority, they are ordained, they ultimately have their source from God. They are God's means of rewarding good and punishing evil, and even when they fail in, 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 in their duties, God authority st- still stands. Even when they fail, even when they really drop the ball, and sometimes they really do, but God's authority still stands. And one day, the, the, the comfort for us is one day, all injustices, all social evils, all unrighteousness will be dealt with fully and finally. Hasn't that been a reoccurring theme in the, in, in, in the Old Testament as it pertains to the day of the Lord? There's a day coming when God will make everything right. That's the day we hope for. That's the day we long for. So whatever form of authority appears before us, whether it, whether it's the king, whether it's the governor, and I would throw in whether it's a senator, whether it's a mayor, whether it's the police officer, when any superior on the ladder of government is present, respect them. Recognize their authority. Submit yourself to them even when they, especially when they treat you badly. Even when they abuse their power, be Christ-like. 
have an excellent and noble behavior so that God is glorified and so that you might be found to be like your Lord. That's the call. That's, that's the extent to which we submit to every human authority, no matter who it is. So we've seen the command, the motive, and the extent to which we submit. Now the, the, the reason or the result of our submission, fourth, he says in 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Remember when I read earlier, what, what, what was the effect on, on the Pharisees when, when they tried to catch Jesus and they were silenced? So why do we submit to human rulers? As we've said, it's to recognize God's ultimate authority, that we may reflect the likeness of Jesus in our behavior, but also this, and this is Peter's main focus in this section, is so that, in, so, so that such Christ-like behavior in Christians living in an unchristian world, submitting to unchristian authorities, that we might, by our good behavior, that we might silence the critics of the gospel. That's the result. That's what God can do with our Christian submission, is he can silence the critics of the gospel. Says, Peter says, by doing right. And this is pointing back to what he's uh, previously instructing us to do, to have excellent behavior that, that is practically expressed. It is practically expressed in the submission, in the willful submission to earthly authorities. And recognizing that where do they get their authority from? From God. God's will for us is to submit to the authorities so that by doing right, he says that we might silence. That the, the word can also mean to restrain, to muzzle. It, it was used of um, the images of restraining or muzzling an animal, a, a, a beast. And that we might re, uh, silence what? The ignorance of foolish men. Now, there's a buzzword in today's social media, if I've ever heard one. And what's interesting is this is, this is actually a, uh, it is a more emphatic word for ignorance. It's not the normal word for ignorance. Um, it, it, it is a word that means not just ignorance, but it is, a, it is a willful, and if necessary, it's even a hostile rejection to the truth. This is a, this is a committed, this is a steadfast, this is a resolute ignorance. This is the kind of, this is the kind of attitude that, when, when, when you're in a disagreement with someone and you have the truth, you, you, you are putting them in their place in a Christ-like way, and you are explaining something accurately and truthfully, and they go, la, 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 I don't care. Anyone, have, anyone with kids ever, that ever happened? So that's, that's what this kind of ignorance is. This is a committed, steadfast, resolute, you're not going to change my mind because I don't care kind of ignorance. This is... This is the kind of thing that the Jews had in Acts uh, 6 and 7 when Stephen is preaching to them. And it says um, uh, that, they, that they stopped their ears and they began gnashing their teeth. They are so angry. They, they are just being taken over by their fury. And they rush at him and they take him out and stone him. That's, that's this kind of ignorance. It is an arrogant, committed, uh, hostile, if necessary, ignorance. And this is knowing something is wrong, but you cling to it, and you do it. You don't. You do it anyway, just just because. And in all seriousness, 
it's, it's stupid. In all seriousness, this is a stupid thing to do when you don't have a good argument, but you stand your ground anyway. And that's what, why Peter describes the source of this willful ignorance. Look, look, at, look in verse 15, that you may silence the ignorance of who? Who possesses this kind of ignorance? Where does this kind of ignorance come from? Foolish men. They are, by their willful rejection of the truth, they are senseless. They are illogical. They are irrational. They're foolish. And God's will for you and for me is that by our Christ-like behavior, especially as it pertains to living in a fallen world, governed by fallen men, that we would give the teeth of their criticisms absolutely no meat to latch onto when they snap at us. Robert Layton says it like this. When Christians walk irreprovably, his enemies have nowhere to fasten their teeth on him, but they're forced to gnaw their own malignant tongues. As it secures the godly thus to stop the lying mouths of foolish men, so it is as painful to them to be thus stopped as muzzling is to beasts and punishes their malice. And this is a wise Christian's way. Instead of impatiently fretting at the mistakes or willful miscensures of men to keep still on his calm temper of mind and his upright course of life and silent innocence, this, he says, as a rock breaks the waves into foam that roar about it. Isn't that good? That is a excellent image of what Christ-like behavior, of what self-control, of gentleness, of meekness, of holding back your tongue and of not reviling when you are reviled. That's, this is what God can do with that kind of attitude. It silences the critics. That, that is the result of our Christian submission to un. Christian authorities. So we've seen the command, the motive, the extent, and the result. And then we see the attitude that we are to have in our submission. Verse 16. He says, Act as free men, and do not use freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. And again, those of you who have parents, you know that attitude is everything. Attitude, it is so important that we have the right attitude as we honor the Lord, that we try to be like him. I think perhaps the attitude of the believer and what it might become as, as, as he's been, as the believer has been emotionally and spiritually elevated by all the things that Peter has taken us through, all the gamut of those wonderful privileges and blessings. I think it's possible that, that, that being reminded of, of, and elevated of those things spiritually and emotionally, that he, the Christian might have allowed these things to go to his head just a little bit. With great privilege, especially the privilege of freedom, comes the potential to abuse that privilege. And maybe Peter suspected some in the churches were living licentiously. Maybe he suspected that some in the churches were living lawlessly, that they were allowing their freedoms to get to their heads, to overinflate their egos and act like they were better than other people. And have, you ever, have you ever known any religious people, you know, even in the Lord's church, who've allowed their pride to maybe get a little bit the better of them from time to time? 
Have you ever known someone who was on the verge of sinning and then they stopped short, but then they thought, wait a minute, Jesus forgives all my sins, so then they, all sin is forgiven, right? So they go ahead and do it. Do you know anyone who's ever done that before? Has the person in the mirror ever done that before? Remember that Peter is, is the, is, I would, I would argue he is the pastor for these people. He knows these folks and he wants to encourage them lovingly, but bluntly to walk in the truth, and he tells them to act as free people. And in that, and in that freedom, he clues, us in, he clues us in as to what we are free to do and what we are not free to do. The Christian is not allowed to use his freedom in Christ as a cover for sin. The Christian is not allowed to use his freedom as a cover for sin. I've known people who felt they didn't need to obey traffic laws. They're above those things. And I've heard cases of people who don't pay their taxes because those are just mundane, earthly, civil requirements. They're, they're, I'm above that. I, I don't belong to this world. I'm a heavenly person. I have a heavenly citizenship, right? Well, Peter says they, that these mundane civil requirements do matter because as he said and as Paul has said, they're the ordinance of God that is meant to reward those who do good and to punish evil, Right? Someone might say, Aaron, I, you're a citizen of heaven. You are free in Christ. I would say, yes, I am. But you know, you know what else I'm free to do? I'm free to pay my taxes with sincerity. I am free to obey traffic laws with joy and with gladness. I am free to do that, and so are you. These ordinances, they, as a representative of the governor or, or, as, or a representative of the king, have their basis for their authority in God. And, and I would say, I would position forth to you that unless, until the moment that your government, that your representative, that your authority is telling you to sin, to disobey God, until that point, you submit to them. You respect them. You honor them. Peter says, use your freedom not as a cover of evil, but as bond slaves of God. What a marvelous thought. Christian, you are free to be a slave. You are free to be a slave of God. Isn't that an amazing thought? Now, time would not allow me to explain all this in great detail, but the essence of this thought is this. We were once citizens of the kingdom of darkness, of this fallen world. And in one, in one sense, we belonged to that world and we were of the world and we were slaves of unrighteousness. And in slavery of that unrighteousness, in slavery of sin, we could not do what's right. We could only do what's wrong. And then what happened? Christian, what happened to you? God, God showed up, and in his kindness, and in his mercy, he transfers you from that kingdom to the kingdom of his beloved son. And in that moment, Christ goes from being your greatest enemy to your greatest authority. And because he is your king, in him you are finally free to do what is right. And Peter comes along and says, 
now that you're free, now that you have been liberated, don't use that liberty as a cloak. Don't use it as a mask for evil. Don't let your liberty become license for sin. Don't, don't go and act like you are, now that you're a citizen of the new kingdom, don't act like you're a citizen of the old kingdom. Don't act like it doesn't really matter what you do. You're a servant of one of two kingdom kingdoms, and we've been looking at it for quite some time that, that it's pretty clear from Scripture which one, you know, for those who are in Christ, it's clear which one you belong to, isn't it? So let's let our conduct align itself with the kingdom that we are positioned in. So the command, the motive, the extent, the reason, and the attitude of our submission. And then in verse 17, he gives us the sixth feature which is the application of our submission. Basically, what does it look like? What does it look like practically? Peter, give us a practical way to put the, 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 this command into practice. And he says, okay, here it is. And uh, John MacArthur uh, uh, titles this or dubs this citizen theology. What should, our, what should your theology look like in your practical life? This is what Peter tells us. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's pretty simple, right? First he says, honor all men. Honor all men. And, and implied is women too. Even those that society says aren't people, even those that society says are not worthy of honor, honor all men. Why do we do that? Because every single person is made in the image of God. Every single person has a degree of worth and value and thus deserves honor because they are all made. All of you and everyone out there is made in the image of God. Someone said it like this. I, I, I thought, put it in perspective. You take the one person on earth that is the most looked down upon, the most downcast, the, the least respected, evaluated to be the most insignificant person who's ever walked this earth they are inherently they inherently have more value more worth and deserve more honor than the entirety of all the endangered species all the endangered rainforests all the endangered things that billions and billions of dollars are spent on that the most insignificant person who's ever walked the earth has more worth than all of that honor all men and then he says, love the brotherhood. And this is easy because we're all so lovable, right? Aren't we easy to love and to get along with? Well, I couldn't help but, but uh, smile as I, as I was reading uh, the section in Romans that we read this morning. Accept all people. Love the brotherhood. And this is not new to Peter's thought. He's already told us in chapter 122. Since you, have, uh, since you have a sincere love for the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And there's some more of that. Uh, it better come from in, from in you internally, sincerely kind of talk that he's, that he's already given us today. Fervently love one another from the heart. Love the brotherhood. And then he says, fear God. And again, where, what, what, what is the fear of God? It's Proverbs 1.7. What, 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 what does that lead to? Knowledge, wisdom, the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom. This is a this is a uh, a reverential. This is a re- respectful fear. And what this means in this context is this pertaining to submitting to Christian uh, to unchristian authorities. It means that you will defer to his wisdom and his sovereignty in ordaining the the, the ranks and the authorities uh, of government, even though we don't see the big picture, even though we don't see how we are God is going to achieve his purposes with that uh, with that guy in Washington in D, in in D.C. I don't know how it's going to work when, when a person like that got elected. Fearing God means that we are deferring to his wisdom and his sovereignty, and despite that, and we say, okay, God, I, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I know this. I know you are capable of doing whatever you want. And I know that you are capable of using whoever you want, achieving it however, whichever way you want to, whenever you want to. That's what fearing God looks like. And so... I'm going, to honor, I'm going to honor these folks, I'm going to trust these folks, and I'm going to submit to these folks, even when it's difficult for me. I'm going to trust you, God. And then he says, he brings us right around back to where he began. He says, honor the king. Honor the king. And again, I, let, me just leave, let me just leave this and, and we'll conclude. If the church could be told and instructed by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to honor Caesar Nero, we can respect and honor anybody. Let's close. Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to come to your word and to be challenged by it. Please stretch us. Please help us to be reminded of the wonderful privileges we have in the position that we are in Christ and by by the enabling, by the strength of your Holy Spirit, help us to conform our practice, our behavior to that model. Help us to behave like we are in Christ. Help us to behave like we are in the kingdom of your beloved Son. Father, remind us regularly that you are such a big God. And it is not a small thing for you, that it is not a difficult thing for you when it appears to our perspective that a monkey wrench has been thrown into the gearworks of your plans. Remind us of how smart you are and how wise you are and how powerful you are and how good you are to your people in the midst of all circumstances of life. Thank you again for this morning. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your blessed church. Please continue to bless it. Amen.